welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Okay, hello and welcome. I'm so thankful you're joining me for this episode Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by the wonderful Crispin Mayfield to discuss his work around attachment science and how it applies to our relationship with God. Before we dive in, let me introduce Crispin to you. Crispin Mayfield has a background in full-time ministry and is an Oregon licensed professional counselor with advanced training in attachment-based therapy. His, in his writing, podcasting, and speaking, Crispin explores the integration of faith and psychology, and his writing has appeared in a variety of publications like Christianity Today, Relevant, Fathom, and more. Crispin is the author of the book Attached to God, A Practical Guide to Deeper Spiritual Experience, and he and his wife also host the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. They live in Oregon with their two kids. Now, let's get into the show. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm so glad to be here and <sighs> so excited. So glad that you are starting this podcast. I, um, I'm, I'm assuming that you dipped your toe in podcasting um, with Debbie's podcast yes. that you joined her on as a co-host, but I loved listening along to the two of you. So this makes me really excited. Um, when I saw that you had written a book about attachment styles, or actually attachment science, which I didn't know was the updated term for those who may have heard it previously, attachment theory, um, and and then we're relating that to God. I just, I mean, I almost fell over in my chair. I was so happy. So let's jump in. Um, I am, just to set up where we're going, if I can, I'm going to pretty much quote this from chapter one of your book. Attachment science, formerly known as attachment theory, is the study of the ways we get and keep connection or closeness with others. There are a variety of ways we seek to do that, some successful and some not so much, but these ways or paths we default to are called attachment styles. And we don't just use them with our parents or partners or friends, but also with God. So that's sort of the broader context we're talking about. And then start us off if you would there's there's three main um insecure uh attachment styles can you talk about each one basically and how that might present what it looks like in childhood and then um and then how maybe someone who identifies with that one can move into secure attachment with god yeah yeah and i think it is it's you know, we use the term attachment styles. Um, people are generally familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's their best understood as strategies. And so like each of Great. these styles is like a particular strategy that you use to get closeness when there's mm-hmm. this rupture between 
like when you're a kid, when there's a rupture between you and your parent, but like with your partner or with a friend or who, or with God, right. There are these ways that we are reaching out to get connection again. And, and they're not even always apparent on the surface that Mm -hmm. that's what we're doing. Um, which is what I have found so fascinating about attachment science, um, is to kind of like open the hood, um, and say like, oh, this is what, there actually is a desire for connection with this person that looks like they just want to run away from everyone. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, because the first style that I talk about anxious attachment, um, which if you, um, are familiar with the, the, you know, attachment, the field of attachment science, um, then you would also know this is preoccupied or ambivalent attachment. Um, but this is basically where it feels like it's up to me to keep connection. It's up to me to make sure that we're close. Um, and I have very little um, trust or security that you're going to stick around. So I have to do a lot of work to keep you close. And so mm-hmm. in childhood, this um, this looks like uh, a kid where it's like, yeah, my parent is tuned into me some of the time. Um, but some of the time they're in their own world. And so if I need their attention or connection, I have to work really hard to get it. And before we go any further, I'm going to just give this 30 second caveat for parents that are listening that, um, that really there's this idea of like, you don't have to get this right all the time. Um, somewhere between like 30 to 50% of the time. Um, but what I'm and talking that's about based, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So research says like um, 30 to 50 percent of the time, um, somewhere in there, parents um, need to be tuned into their kids. Um, but there's a lot of room for failing um, and like failing to attune and connect. Um, and actually, there's research around how that's a helpful thing. Um, if it's like there's this disconnection and rupture and we miss each other and then we come back together later and figure it out. So Hmm. um, just to take the pressure off of parents as I'm talking about this, um, but it does happen where um, these are kids that that have this feeling like I'm not important enough um, to get your attention when I need it. And I'm a kid. I'm all alone in the world. So like, you know, in order to keep myself safe, um, I need to know that the person that's supposed to protect me is paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the kid that will maybe like just sit on mom or sit on the bench next to mom or dad on the playground because it's like it's up to me to make sure that I keep close mm-hmm. to you. I can't trust that like if I fall and then, you know, you're going to pay attention to me. And so that's what it looks like in childhood. Yeah. Really quick. Sorry. Um, this is, or it was at least my attachment. What do we strategy? This was, uh-huh. um, uh, and I, when I took your assessment, it was interesting. I took it as my former self and as myself now, mm. and I got two different answers. Um, uh-huh. but so my, but my, um, understanding of, of mine, it wasn't necessarily that I just couldn't get their attention. It was particularly one of my parents being, um, uh, uh, unpredictable, emotionally unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was never sure when I was about to be in huge trouble. I was never sure when a mistake would be laughed off and when I would be spanked for it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, um, 
the living in constant, like walking on eggshells sort of thing, mm-hmm. which I think produces that exact same thing, which is it's up to me to always make right. sure things are good and I'm, and I'm in the good side. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to just sort of mention that because um, if someone's listening to this and thinking, no, my parents paid attention to me. So, so I wish uh-huh. they would have paid less in some ways, you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I wanted to add that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And actually there's like, you know, if you really go into the research of it, this actually is like, um, this anxious attachment can come from um, parents that are intrusive. So like Mm. when I needed you, maybe you weren't really paying attention, but now like I'm doing my own thing and you're coming in and you're like, how are you doing? Like, what are you feeling? Like, you know, kind of, and like not, not actually tuning into where I'm at and what I need. So it does create this sense of like, I, like I can't, trust that you're tuned into me and my experience mm-hmm. um, or that you're going to like work to m- make this relationship work, I have to do all the work. And so then um, what ends up happening as we grow up and um, with like romantic partners, this is like, you know, it could be like the person that's like texting 10 times like, hey, I texted you like 10 minutes ago. Um, you know, how come you haven't texted me back? And what's happening is like that your attachment system is coming online and saying, oh no, maybe there's a rupture. I need to make sure we're mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm not sure if you're going to stick around. So now I'm trying to fix it by like sending you all these text messages. Yeah. You could be like me where I'm like quietly anxious and I'm like in my head, like, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Uh, like people pleasing, like, um, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily see it from the outside. But I think about when um, my wife, Danielle, and I were in couples therapy and I was like, kind of had this realization of like, oh, I wake up and make coffee for you every morning so you won't leave. And she's like, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) You know? And I'm like, okay, I know like that's not actually the case, but that's how it feels, right? Um, It's interesting. Like the – and how you mentioned that, I wonder if – I, I ascribe to, and I think the Enneagram can be a helpful tool. I'm an eight. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't quietly do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I'm anxious, I'm going to tell you that I'm anxious and I'm going to ask you what's mm-hmm. going on. And I don't want any mm-hmm. BS or any atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wonder if, you know, additional aspects of our personality play into what mm-hmm. type of anxious we are. Yeah. Cause sense. I'm a nine. Oh, so there we go. That I makes don't, sense. Yeah. I don't want to burden <laughs> anyone with my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so um, how does that look in our relationship? I'm going to use the phrase relationship with God. It's an icky yeah, phrase to me and feels like cr- Christianese. I know that spirituality is more than a one-on-one relationship with God, but for the purpose of this conversation, mm-hmm. I think it Well, helps. you know, what we could say is that generally with monotheistic religions, the part of our brain that... Um, that manages our relationships with other people also manages our relationship with God and, okay. and how we relate to God. So there I you feel go. Better about like it, it doesn't okay. have to be like an evangelical, like, okay. yeah, but, um, but that's, that's what our brains do. So it's a, and which is why there's research around this yeah. that says like, okay, what, what is your attachment style with God? Um, and so this looks like, um, you know, it's up to me to keep God close. Um, I have to work really hard. I have to make sure I've confessed all my sins. I need to make sure we're okay. If there's like any little like feels like a fracture, like I have to work really hard to make sure that's resolved. Um, And again, this can look different ways too. It could be like sometimes people are like really 
with this attachment style will be really angry with God. Like you're not showing up for me. I don't feel you blah, blah, blah. Um, but it can also be like the sort of people pleasing, but with God, right. Of like, all right, I'm trying to do it perfectly so that you won't leave. Um, and we get this message often in the church for people with this attachment style. Um, you, you can visit mo- many churches on a Sunday and hear this message of like, you have to work really hard uh, to keep God. Mm-hmm. You know, think about like the euphemisms we use, for example, like I just think about like the worship pastor at the end of the service. That's like, you know, um, and I pray that we would stay close to you this week. Right. Which mm-hmm. gives this message of like, it is your job to keep proximity to God. Yeah. What we need is to know that our, God is going to stick around. God um, wants us to actually rest, which comes up over and over in scripture. One thing that was really helpful for me, this is from um, uh, Bob Eckblad, um, is a theologian um, who's um, written a few books. He wrote a book called Reading the Bible with the Damned. So he was the first one that pointed this out to me, but we have this idea in the church of like, if I sin, I'm driving God away. Um, but he pointed out that like Adam and Eve sin and then God shows up and then like Moses kills someone and runs off in the desert and meets God and Jacob, um, steals the birthright and, mm-hmm. uh, meets God in the wilderness. And so, um, in scripture, I see a really different picture. Um, wow. and that's, I mean, that's what we need from God, from the people in our life. We need to know, um, that, even if I make a mistake or I'm not, you know, doing 200% in this relationship that you're going to stick around. Yeah. And really quick, I want to ask this. And I mean, I've sort of mentioned it, that I had taken the quiz as two versions of myself Mm -hmm. and got different answers. Your attachment style isn't like your, I would say, Enneagram number or something where it's sort of Mm -hmm. what you are and there's, you're not really Mm -hmm. getting out of it. Um, It's attachment I'm sorry, not style. What'd you say? Strategy. Yeah. Is, I mean, style works. I just like clarifying. Be, yeah. It's just, it is something that we can, we can move into secure attachment or it may even manifest anxiously at some time and one of the others at another time in your life. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. Okay. And um, yeah, research has shown at least with one group of people they looked at that a quarter of the people changed their attachment style over the course of like four or five years. Um, okay. For better and for worse, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it but is. But I just wanted to make sure evolving. people know, like, if if it's if it's yours or if you knew this about yourself in seasons past, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it it may look different. Or there's hope that you're not always going to be stuck in an insecure attachment. Yes, forever, which is exactly. why you wrote the book, I imagine. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, there's actually yeah. a term called um, earned secure attachment, which is where someone starts off life or goes into a period of having an insecure attachment style and then they heal so that they can feel more secure. So Mm, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Should we talk about shutdown attachment? Let's talk about shutdown attachment, which was my new result. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) When you had a little thing in the book that says, um, people that have this one often run to the main lines. I was like, Oh, I became an Episcopalian a couple years ago uh when I left the, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, right. Um, and and to be fair, like I didn't even give an option in the book for people to be secure mm-hmm. because even if you're secure, you're still going to tend towards one of these. Um, and so knowing that about yourself is really helpful. But yeah, yeah with the shutdown attachment style, this is like if you grow up in a family where um, being sad or being scared or being mad is not allowed. Um, 
and you get punished or you get pushed away or you get shut out for having that emotion, right? So like, you know, kind of classic, like stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Um, if your parents are uncomfortable with your emotions, you will pick up on that quickly as a child. Um, this is really formed in the first 18 years of life or sorry, 18 months of life. Um, and so, um, but yeah, we learn early on, my parent is okay with my distress or not. Mm-hmm. If they're not okay with my bad, you know, bad emotions, my distress, then I learn I have to choose between the relationship or my emotions. Mm. And I will choose the relationship because that's how attachment works. We are driven for connection. So that means I have to stuff down my emotions. I have to pretend like I'm not sad or scared or mad. Um, And so then what happens um, at that point is uh, your over time, your brain actually just gets into this pattern of shutting down those emotions. Um, And so then you grow into an adult where you learn if I share these vulnerable emotions of being sad or scared or mad, um, not mad. Anger can always can often come out, but um, but especially sad or scared. I'm just going to drive other people away. And so, you know, you grow up in that family, but then you get up, you know, grow up in your, um, in, you know, couples therapy with me and, uh, your partner's like, I want to know these feelings. And you're like, okay, I, I hear you saying that, but my body and my attachment system and my experience says, Mm -hmm. if I show you these emotions, then I am going, you're going to run away. You're going to be driven away. And I've gotten so practiced at this, at shutting down these emotions. I don't even know what they are anymore. Like That's I couldn't what I was going to say is, is I wonder if even accessing them and being able to identify and name them wouldn't mm-hmm. take some work at first. Right. Um, yeah. It's interesting that that is, I have like, uh, I wrote a blog post in 2020 uh, called a, a, a Spiritual Coma. Mm. That I I just sort of felt like like I can't uh-huh. I have too many questions and I'm not getting answers and I know there's mystery and that's okay, but mm-hmm. but as a certainty addict from my previous life, I was like, well, I'm just not gonna go. I'm not gonna watch online. I'm just not gonna think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I would think about it, I would cry in in spiritual direction and say, you know, is God as good as I hope God is? Mm-hmm. Is God mm-hmm. as big and loving? Does God punish the way that they've told me? Does you know? Mm-hmm. And then no answers would come and then I would shut back down. Um, yeah, right. Well, it makes so, so much sense. Yeah, it's I mean, I think a lot of people hit that point when they're burnt out from the anxious style of like, I am mm. I am trying so hard to keep God happy and keep God close and it's not working. So I, I'm sort of giving up, maybe not giving up my faith, but like I'm just going to shut down, yeah. right? Because um, cause that actually makes more sense than I, I even trying and that, trying. Yeah. And I put in that blog, like when, when you, you're in a medically induced coma, it is to protect you. Mm-hmm. It right. is to protect uh-huh. you from further damage. Cause if I keep mm-hmm. going at this pace, there will be lasting and, and permanent damage. And so I mm-hmm. felt that spiritual coma was almost a sort of like, um, if I can stay here, I'm not dead <laughs> mm-hmm. and right. I don't have yeah. to do the work that I, that I don't think I'm ready to do yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. What in mm-hmm. your, in your research and experience? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, thinking about that message, uh, that we get as kids in, in families like this, where it's like, if you want closeness with me, you need to shut down your negative emotions 
quote unquote negative emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get this message in the church, right? If you are worried, if you are sad, um, that means that you don't actually believe the truth or believe yeah. that God loves you or whatever it is. Like, um, I think one of the um, one thing that really stood out to me as I was reading all these Christian authors was Francis Chan um, set, writes at one point that um, worry and stress reek of arrogance to God. And um, so this idea of like, if you are worried and stressed, like God is offended by that. Um, And I, I, that really stood out to me because he's, he says it reeks, you know, and it like, it really brings up this visceral feeling of like, I am driving God away by my emotions. And then the, the flip side to this, like, this is like uh, bi-directional um, in this, in, in the church, because we're told like, if you want to be a good Christian, you need to not have these emotions. And also we use Christianity to avoid those emotions. Right. So like it's that person that's like, no, like there are huge layoffs at my company, but I'm not worried. Like God is in control. And if you know, if you've been in a friendship with someone like that, you know what that feels like. It feels like they're saying, I'm not going to let you into my internal world. I am putting up a wall. (laughs) You're not going to know what I'm feeling. Um, And maybe they don't intend to do that. Um, You know, they're just dealing with emotions the way that they know how. But that is a very shut down way of um, approaching things. And that's called spiritual bypassing. It is called spiritual bypassing. Um, (laughs) Okay. So, so what what does moving into secure attachment from shutdown look like? Yeah. So that is um, recognizing that God is... I want to like, um, let me rephrase that. Being able to share your emotions with God in a way that feels safe. Um, and for some people that are shut down, it's like, I don't even know where to start. So sometimes like, you know, doing there, there's a lot of resources out there about Mm -hmm. like, if you don't even know how to identify your emotions, um, that is a starting point. But yeah, sharing, being able to share your emotions with God or with others. Um, And we see this throughout scripture. We see like people over and over sharing their emotions, complaining to God, um, you know, talking about all their emotions and and God shows up and it's fine. Um, But that does take um, a reorienting, especially if you've gotten messages from your family and church that these emotions are not okay. And and you talk about this in the book, but... If you really, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, certainly, the way we see Jesus interact with humans and human emotions of all kinds, and not just mm-hmm. interact with them, have them, mm-hmm. uh, express them. In in, um, I, I just had a conversation with Amanda Held Opelt. Uh, we we're talking mm. about grief, and she she described Jesus in the garden as unhinged. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Uh huh. That's amazing. Because yeah, yeah, you're sweating blood and you're crying out and you're terrified. Yeah, you're probably a little unhinged. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that sort of desanitized the garden because it was always this sort of dutiful. Yeah, he was internally mm-hmm. feeling something but not expressing it right yeah he's like a stoic yeah and so god yeah. well, i think beth moore is the one who said this first that i heard it but god knows what it's like to be us 
mm-hmm. because God became one of us. And that like, if I'm sticking around for anything, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so this is, um, this is a, it's not, it's a, a lot of us have hints of this or like this kind of shows up in our attachment systems, but this is like a whole category tends to be reserved for people that have been, gone through a lot of abuse um, in childhood. Um, and, uh, and so I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. It's, it's, um, it's if you grew up with parents that um, are giving you this message, like you are defective, it become something different right? Like you are broken. You mm-hmm. are like, there's something really messed up with you. If you want my love, then you need to change. Um, and I'm going to punish you until you do that. Yeah. Um, and what is, was heartbreaking for me as I was looking at this attachment style is I was like, this is the attachment style that I recognize I have with mm-hmm. God and that I see pervasive throughout the church mm. um this yeah. idea Definitely of that like one, yes <laughs> uh-huh um and so what we, what we do what we do as children um and adults is um we learn okay if i'm broken um and there's something about me that makes me undeserving of love um then I'm going to just beat myself up. I'm going to criticize myself. I'm going to punish myself. So hopefully I will change enough to get the love that I need. Or maybe I can like criticize myself before other people do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and this is what we do with God. It's like, and okay, we can't baptize be... that language with accountability or with repentance mm-hmm. or with, mm-hmm. um, you know, striving for holiness rather than beat right. myself up or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We say like, um, we, we're like, okay, God, like I'm not holy enough for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you really want me to be perfect. I think about my own experience was like, um, I think especially about being a teenager, I, had this idea that God did was just keeping me around because there would be this perfect version of Crispin in heaven mm-hmm. that God liked and wanted, but God did not like me now. Um, God was just like keeping me around to like, you know, shine me up later. Yeah. Um, which is really sad because as a teenager, like I needed to know that God liked me and that God mm-hmm. was with me and delighted with me. Um, but yeah, we get into, we get these messages that like, God just, God just wants you to change. God loves you and God wants you to change into this like better version of yourself. Would another example of that be the, the teaching that God loves you because God sees you as Jesus. God loves you because God loves Jesus and Mm -hmm. he can only see Jesus when he looks at you. I'm saying, right. Yeah. I don't actually believe God is binary. Uh Yeah. my default, um, vocabulary. Um, but, but that I think is very common in a lot of mm-hmm. evangelicalism, reformed, young, restless, reformed, actually all that kind of community mm-hmm. that I, um, that I was in for so long. And that felt hopeful to me. It felt like, mm-hmm. Oh, thank God that when God looks at me, God sees Jesus. Cause I know God loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then I didn't but realize then we how can't... desperately sad that was that what I was saying is um, if God saw me 
God wouldn't mm-hmm. love me. It has mm-hmm. to be because of Jesus that God loves me. It also provides a, a, a scapegoat for people who are not Christians to be sort of dehumanized. Certainly mm-hmm. people of um, Muslim faith or um, in indigenous cultures and stuff like that, that if that people can say, oh, God doesn't even love them because they don't have mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're not children of God. They're not uh, mm-hmm. children of promise, whatever. And it can, that's a really dangerous yes, uh, teaching. Is. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no. Um, and so, yeah, we, we end up like, all right, like, I can't be holy enough. So I will hate these unholy parts of me to prove to God that I really get it. And I really can. God can, you know, come close because I, you know, I'm on God's team because I hate myself as much as God hates me. Mm. Is the, oh. yeah. And I know that that word hate, like, isn't used a lot, but I, I think it's what comes through. And, mm-hmm. um, and also, like, a couple of years ago, I did um, this podcast season about Christian hardcore. And, um, and looking at, like, th- all these, like, lyrics of these, like, young evangelicals that I, in my mind, were saying the things that nobody else was saying, but everyone was thinking. Uh-huh, and they talked uh-huh. a lot about hating themselves, like this under oath song where he says, God, take me because I hate me. Like just this idea of like, Ugh. you know, like I have to uh. cease to exist as I am now if I'm going to get the love I need. Um, yeah, it's really damaging. Um, and and this in- is consistent with um, – like Dr. Karen Purvis is this wonderful woman that did all this um, research around working with kids that had been in the foster care system. So kids that had gone through Mm -hmm. severe attachment trauma. And she talks about this and other researchers too, about this idea of like, there's something at my core that drives other people away. There's something in me that is disgusting. That is Mm -hmm. like, unlovable and i'm like that is exactly what i was told growing up is that like your heart is black with yeah. sin which by the way in a white su- supremacist society is also problematic um but i was told this idea of like your heart is dirty and will drive god away and yeah. that is the exact same thing that kids that have gone through severe trauma feel about mm-hmm. themselves and so mm-hmm. it made me be like okay what the heck is going on here? so how does someone from that space move into secure attachment with God? Yeah. So, so much of um, whether it's like both self-esteem talk and also like Christianity is based on like, no, you are good. Like you are good enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And really like what we know is healing is to get away from that idea of evaluation altogether. Um, so it's Mm -hmm. not about like, oh yeah, you really are amazing. Or like, you really are like, you know, God looks on you and really does think you are like perfect. Like we don't need to be perfect to be loved. Mm -hmm. Like, right. You think about other relationships. You're like, I don't love my kids and my wife because they're perfect. I love them because of who they are. And that's what we need, um, is to feel like God sees us and God delights in us. Um, Think of Mr. Rogers, who said, I like you just the way you are. Like, I think yeah. that's what we need. So, yeah. so um, I'd love it if you could just end with sort of telling us a better story of the God with whom secure attachment is available and ours to be had. Mm. Tell us about the God that you relate to now. Yeah. Um, 
I see a God that is continually um, approaching humanity um, and uh, is always there for us. I, I think especially doing the work that I've done and knowing about attachment and knowing about trauma, I know that this is like a big philosophical theological question, but for me, it's like, I think that um, generally we do the things that we do because of the ways we've been harmed. And so I believe in a God that is making all things right and reconciling all things. Um, and so um, I think that's a process, but, um, but it's going to, that's what I, that's the, there are lots of different kind of like, a tapestry of narratives in scripture. And, um, but that's the one that I really continually come back to is, um, a God, a God who is love, um, and a God who is a perfect parent that like, even when we're really screwing up or running away or whatever, like is still going to continually welcome us back. Okay, so that was my conversation with Crispin Mayfield, who has quickly become one of my favorite Christian writers and thinkers, and I am sure you can see why now. Um, So let's do what we always do. Let's talk about why this matters. Like me and like so many others, you may have grown up in a home or a faith community where connection or closeness with God was a commodity to be obtained through effort and energy, or maybe a currency which always seemed to cost and only rarely deposit. Maybe it was a carrot dangled in front of you and always moving, always out of reach. Maybe you were given a portrait of God, of a God, who was impatient with you and only mildly tolerating you, was disappointed with you, or was angry at you. Regardless of how much you prayed or read your Bible or went to church or youth group or small group or mission trips or outreach days, and perhaps you evolved or have begun to at least away from those ideas theologically in theory, on paper, but you're having a harder time bridging what you think and believe with how you feel about and with God. Crispin's work has given me invaluable tools that have allowed me to begin experiencing secure attachment with a God who loves me, for me, and as me all the time, and that love actually looks and feels like love, and I want that for you too. My thanks again to Crispin Mayfield for joining me today. You can find him on Twitter at K underscore Mayfield, on Instagram at Crispin Mayfield, or on his website at CrispinMayfield.com. I will link to these in the show notes, so make sure you go and follow him. And of course, pick up a copy of his book. Before we go, if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode before the benediction and hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you're listening in Apple, leave a rating or a review. It's so huge, especially for a new podcast like this one, and I would also just love to read your feedback on the show. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you these words taken from John O'Donohue's blessing for equilibrium from his book To Bless the Space Between Us. Like the joy of the sea coming home to shore, may the relief of laughter rinse through your soul. As the wind loves to call things to dance, may your gravity be lightened by grace.
and may your prayer of listening deepen enough to hear in the depths the laughter of God. Amen.